have a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're kind of working our way through that book, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. As you can see, we have the kneelers out today. This is Communion Sunday. So we're going we're gonna to dive into uh, Scripture. We're going to hit it hard, and then uh, open the rest of the service up for you to worship the Lord and really experience Him. You may not have heard us say this before, but uh, a lot of people say, wow, community lasts so long in this town. <laughs> yes, it does. And it's designed to do that because we want you to practice uh, being in the presence of the Lord. We want you to practice worshiping Him, talking to Him, praying to Him. You may write down some of the scriptures that I've mentioned and use that as means of meditation during the communion time, uh, and really experience by the means of grace of the sacrament of communion, the presence of the Lord. So that Monday through Saturday, if you're experiencing that here, we would love for that to, to bleed its way into your life, to where you practice the presence of the Lord in your own life and experience Him. So uh, kind of prepare yourself for that. And let me start by asking you this. Have you ever had a revelation? Like, uh, like a revelation, and I'm not talking about the, uh, the kind of revelation, like this is a really good revelation. Have you ever been really, really hungry, but you're not really sure what you're hungry for? Has that ever happened to you? And then it comes to you what you're hungry for, and you cannot wait to get your teeth into that? That is a bold revelation. Or have you ever known somebody who, uh, who met someone and they left that meeting going, that's who I'm going to marry. And they were absolutely confident of that, a revelation. That's the person I'm going to marry. But God never seems to give that revelation to the other person. <laughs> Have you ever had that? Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about an aha moment. I'm not talking about an oh yeah, when math finally makes sense. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about converting fractions into decimals. I'm talking about a revelation of biblical proportions. Like something that you can only describe as supernatural. Have you ever had that? You know, if you read the Bible, if you ever spend much time in this book at all, it is full of supernatural biblical revelations. I mean, in the Old Testament especially, we see that it's just full of these guys called prophets. And these prophets are bringing... Revelation from God to His people. Listen to this. Uh, Habakkuk is is a minor prophet. Means that he was a very small man. No, that's not what it means. Uh, go Google it later. Then the Lord replied to Habakkuk, "Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that the herald may run with it." That the role of the prophet was to bring a revelation, a supernatural revelation. To people. The prophet Samuel, the prophet Nathan, Daniel, Ezra, Amos, it's on and on and on. They were bringing revelation. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it stated, states it really boldly. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off all restraint. Or your version may say, where there is no revelation, the people perish. That revelation is not only Something that the Bible talks about, and get this, okay? This is what you should write down if you're taking notes. Revelation 
is the normal way of life for those that follow Christ. The New Testament talks about Revelation. You remember in the Christmas story, the shepherds that were out in the fields and the angels came, and they said, Behold, we bring you good news. You ever seen the Charlie Brown special? Said they're quoting that. And so what do they do? That, that is a revelation that came into their lives. It crashed into their existence. And you know, when they had that revelation, they didn't say, wow, man, that lasted a lot longer than I thought it did. Guys, i got to get some sleep. This is daylight savings. You know, they didn't turn over and snooze. Their lives were completely reoriented. From that moment of revelation, their lives were completely different. They got up and they went. And if you go and read it, you realize that those shepherds' lives were forever changed. Matter of fact, everywhere they went, they were a source of amazement to everybody around them because of the revelation that they had received. And this is what I want to state to you today, okay? So this is another thing to write down. Every one of us in this room live our lives in response to revelation. Or everyone in this room lives their lives in response to a lack of revelation. We live our lives either in response to supernatural, angel in the sky, oh my God, revelation. Or we live our lives with an absolute lack of that. We'll come back to that in a minute because we're going to talk about what is revelation? Where do we get it? But we're starting a new series today. We, we concluded our hope series last week and we're starting a new series uh, called The Man, The Myth, The Legend. Uh, it's, a, it's a series on who is Jesus. And uh, so go to Colossians chapter 1. And it's really an interesting question when we ask the question, who is Jesus? Because we live in a culture that answers that in a lot of different ways. We perused the internet this week and came up with some very clever uh, visions and expectations. Amy, can you put those pictures up there? Uh, have you ever seen this one? <laughs> Jesus is my homeboy? Or this other one? Wow. <laughs> my Jesus is so muscular, he did not tolerate the cross. <laughs> he actually shattered it. Nobody's going to nail my Jesus. What does culture say about Jesus? Some say he was a great teacher. Some say that he was a liar. Some say that he was a lunatic. If you watch the Da Vinci Code, you would say that Jesus uh, was a man from heaven who was married to Mary Magdalene. Uh, some people would say that uh, Jesus is just a really good blue-blooded Republican. Who is Jesus? And as I began to uh, prepare this series, I started to really ask the question, is it, does that question really matter that much? So I was sitting in my living room, and I was studying uh, from a book by a theologian named Murray and trying to get into what he was saying about the identity of Jesus. And somebody knocked on my door, and I went in to the door, and it was a couple of Je Jehovah Witnesses. They were standing at my door. And they had their Watchtower publication, and they wanted me to read it, and they wanted to invite me to their things. And I really felt back as... We have a very large dog. Uh, some of you have met Buck. He is about this big, and uh, he's just a big ball of white fur. And uh, when Buck meet, meets new people, he gets really excited, like too excited. 
And uh, so they wanted to meet Buck. He came out and actually uh, began to baptize those on my front porch. I thought, you know, the Lord has a great sense of humor, doesn't he? Because the Jehovah Witnesses, they would say that who Jesus is really matters. They would say that Jesus is not the Son of God. That rather, Jesus was the first creation among us. That he was just a man like us, but he was divinely made. Now, if you go to the Mormon church, you would say that Jesus matters for them too. They would say that Jesus was the brother of Satan. That he was just a man that progressed to be equal with God. And we can follow in his tracks in the same way. That he wasn't God, but that he was just a man that ascended to a level of God that we can follow the tracks that he laid down. You go to the Muslim church, you find that they don't believe that Jesus was anything more than a, a great prophet in the line of Moses that was actually created by Allah. And he was lesser than Allah. And if you go to the church of Mighty Python, you would think that Jesus might have been Brian if life just would have been a little bit different. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is speaking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where thrones are powers are rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. Who was Jesus? So we're going to be talking about that over the next four weeks. But let's take the first line in this. He is the image of the invisible God. And let me tell you why this matters. We spent the last five weeks asking you as a community to hate, to uh, frame your life with hope. And now we're going to be talking about where is that hope placed? What is the anchor of that hope that we profess as a community? And so we're going to be talking about Jesus. It says that he was the image. The actual Greek word there is the word that we get the word icon from. That he was... In modern language, he was a photograph of God. That he was the exact representation. Yesterday, we were uh, at the Opry Mills Mall. And uh, it was Halloween, as you know. And so uh, there were some funny characters walking around the mall. And I leave early to go get the car and pull it around front uh, to serve Renee. Uh, she had a few more stores to go into. And I said, look, let me just go get the car for you. We bless you in that way. So I pull the car up, and as I'm pulling up, there is a uh, guy that's about 40 years old who's standing by the main entrance into the food court. And he uh, has long black hair that has been ironed, you know, the flat iron straight. And he has a Michael Jackson red leather jacket on with a sparkly glove on his hand and sunglasses and a Michael Jackson hat and his jeans have sparkles on them. And I was like, oh my Lord. This is a grown man. Then he reached in his pocket and pulled out and he got one of those uh, 
mask that Michael Jackson wore at the end of his life and put the, you know, what do you call that? The surgical mask or whatever, and then just stood there at the entrance and just looked at people as they went by. I know, it was like, I was just, I, I was entranced. I had, I couldn't turn away. I was like, what's interesting about that for today? <laughs> he was playing like Michael Jackson, but he wasn't Michael Jackson. He was a cheap substitute. He had all the dressings of having the image of Michael Jackson without any of the reality. In fact, since he didn't have even even close to the reality, and he was probably over 40 years old, he was a really creepy, you know, image of Michael Jackson that frightened me and made me wonder if I should call the police or the mall security. But that's not what this is talking about. They're not talking about that Jesus dressed like God or that Jesus happened to look like God. That he's not a photograph, that he just resembled God in a unique way like nobody else before. It's saying something very different. And let's take a moment to see what Jesus was saying about himself. And let's start by seeing what his enemies said about him. And you can just write this down and go look at it later. In John chapter 5, in verse 18, the Pharisees were dealing with Jesus. These were men that were really challenging the claims of Christ and were threatened by the things that he was doing in his time. He says, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not simply because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. The Pharisees understood the claim that Jesus was making. He was saying to the men and the women of his generation, I am equal. I'm not just a good picture of, I am equal with God. In John chapter 8, in verse 56, he's in a dialogue with the Pharisees about Abraham. And they are claiming Abraham as their father. And Jesus says, if Abraham truly was your father, then you would be like your father Abraham, and you would welcome me. Because Abraham longed for my day. He longed to see my day. And this is what the Jews said to him. You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's poor grammar, isn't it? Not unless you were a Jew, because you understood what he was saying. When Moses went to God, or God came actually to Moses, and was sending him to Egypt, and Moses was very reluctant to go, he said to God, who do I say sent me? Like when they say, on whose authority do you stand here and make these claims, say, who do I say? God said, tell them I am. And Jesus knew when he said, I am, that what he was claiming in front of the Jews was I am God. I have come in the flesh. See, in verse 59, they understood it so dramatically that they took up stones to throw at him. What would it take for you to take up a stone and throw at somebody? My son called me the other day. He goes to college, and he called me, and he was all worked up because there was a campus preacher at their school. Have y'all ever seen any of these guys? Uh, they come on, and they, you know, they start screaming and saying everybody's going to hell, and they start making these outlandish, outlandish claims, and 
telling everybody, you know, if you dress like that, then, you know, you're certainly going to hell. And he said people began to argue with him, and it got so heated that people started throwing hot cups of coffee on this guy and spitting on him. What would it take for you to get that riled up? Well, what did God the Father say about Jesus? Hebrews chapter 1. This is the revelation of God speaking about Jesus. He said, your throne. He's talking about Jesus here. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. That God the Father himself is referring to Jesus as God and the one who sits on the throne. And then Jesus himself, if we're confused about it at all, said in John chapter 10, verse 30, The Father and I are one. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. He is equal with the Father in substance and in power. And if he is not, then he is nothing. If that's not true about Jesus, then we are wasting our time and what we're doing here really is a cruel practice. Isn't it? I mean, think about it. But you know, as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking, a lot of you probably already believe that. That's not new news to you. You're not going to go to lunch today and go, wow, he said Jesus was God. I, I, I'm just having a hard time getting my head around that. For some of you, you've believed that ever since you were a little kid and you know, they had the felt board and you know, and you knew that. So what does it matter? What does it matter? Let's come back to Revelation. Because let me tell you about what Scripture says about Revelation. Revelation is the supernatural connecting of my head and my heart. It's the transformation of knowledge into living reality. It's the birthplace, you get this, it's the birthplace of conviction that causes us, like the shepherds in the field, to realign our lives to the revelation that we've been given. And this is getting really good. I'm only going to talk for a few more minutes, so stay with me. Paul, the apostle, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And when he was Saul, he knew exactly what the Christians were claiming Jesus to be. That he was God. And he was so convinced that they were wrong, even though he understood all their theology, and he understood the claims that they were making, and he understood what Jesus had said, he went around persecuting the Christians, putting them to death, putting them in prison. But on the road to Damascus, something happened. He received a revelation that Jesus was actually who the Christians claimed that he would be. And when he had a revelation, now truth and heart became collision courses with one another. And it radically changed the way he lived his whole lives. His whole life, he became the Apostle Paul. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus says, I am the revelation of God to the Gentiles. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for us that we would have a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation so that we may know him better. Now, here's where I'm going, okay? Let me illustrate this. 
You may be somebody who's been in church for a long time, and you may be somebody who could get up here and talk and give all the points of why Jesus was divine. And you know the truth, but you've never had the revelation that has brought the truth and the heart together. Or maybe you have, but you have long forgotten it. And now Christianity has become something that's really just stale and somewhat, and I just tolerate it. Here's what I want you to imagine for a moment. Christianity without revelation. Church without revelation is no different than going to a wedding and there's only one person getting married. Because even those of you in here that have never been married before, that are single, are single again. And you're wondering, am I ever going to stand up there and make those vows to another person? You may believe in those vows and you may think, well, those vows are good. I like them. But those vows have very little meaning and application to your life until there is another person standing there that you can actually give them to. Does that make sense? They take on a whole new meaning when there's another person that I'm actually pledging these vows to. Because now the vows and the revelation of what those vows mean in light of another person have been wrapped up in what it means to actually to be loved and to love. It now has flesh on it to where I can live out of the truth or the hardness of that truth of the revelation of those vows. When we come to the place to where we say collectively, Jesus is God, that he is the revelation of God to us, his people, that he lived a perfect life, and in living that perfect life, he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he took away the sins of his people, and when he rose again, he rose to newness of life, and he rises us with that, with him, into that newness of life. The revelation of that explodes within us that we would be different. Now our vows, now our words, now our songs are to a person that is present with us. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 15, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt actually means to tabernacle. It's the Old Testament place where people came and met God. And so Jesus is saying, now I have come among you. And he is here and he's present with us so that we can tabernacle with him. That we can be in fellowship with him now. Okay. What do we do with that? That all sounds like real good church stuff. Just two things. How we respond to Revelation. This is John chapter 6 verse 8. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said to them after everybody had left them. He said, are you guys going to leave me too? Peter responds. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe. We have been given revelation and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. My first response is, where else do I have to go? 
Jesus, when you reveal that this is truly who you are, it completely messes everything up. Like Peter is saying, we, how can we go back to fishing? Like, I can't go back to a boat. Like, can I, can I just go back to my village and say, man, you wouldn't believe this great run we had with this guy named Jesus. It was awesome. It was like a three-year retreat. I saw him feed people and raise people from the dead. Man, I will never forget that. I tell my kids about bedtime. You were in the military? I was with Jesus for three years. No. Paul, Peter understood the devastating impact of us grasping the revelation of who Jesus was. It messes everything up. And what I mean by that is it redefines who we are. It redefines how we view success. It redefines how we view love. It redefines how we view sexuality. It redefines how we live our lives, how we spend our money, where we choose to live, where we choose not to live, how we love the people around us and use the gifts that God has given us. It changes everything. Because if we have that revelation, how can we go back to being on a boat? And the second thing it does is it causes us to worship. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus came back, the disciples gathered, and right before he'd given them the great commission, the call on their lives, it says that they fell down and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And it's really cool because in that same passage it says, and some doubted. Isn't that a beautiful thing that even when we come to worship, we can bring our doubts with us? And yet, because we're so messed up by the revelation that God has given us, he can't keep us from worshiping. We align our lives, and we come and worship. And part of worship, and what we're about to experience here, part of this is repentance. Part of it is, we have been given revelation, and I have forgotten. I've forgotten about that revelation. I've lived as if that revelation hasn't been true. I've given so much of my life to, as if God is not with me, that Jesus is not tabernacling with me. I don't believe when I open up the Word of God that He's giving me continual revelation, that I come to Him in prayer so that I can fellowship with the One that has redeemed me and says that I am in you. We forget those things. And so we stop living out of revelation. In fact, we start replacing revelation with the chief things in our lives that we think substitute revelation. And we start worrying about where am I going to get a job? Who am I going to marry? How's God going to fix my marriage? Is he going to take care of my kids? And fear begins to replace the dynamic life that Peter experienced living in the revelation that God is with us. Yeah? So as we come to this time, Jesus says, I've given you something. I've given you a means of grace to where you can remember, I am the one that I said that I am. And I am great, and I am powerful, and I am present. And so the invitation today to you as we come to this table is will you come and meet the one that is present today? Will you come and align your life afresh to the revelation that he has given you? And will you worship him? How you answer that question is very, very significant. And let me tell you why. And then I'm going to close. If you're sitting here right now, and I have, I, you, all you've heard is wah, you know, I don't know what he talked about. 
I'm serious. I'm worried for you if you laugh about it and leave here and say that's no big deal. It was just church. How sad that you have such a small view of the redemption that Christ has brought into your life that you think church is the place you go to. You kidding me? You know what this place was last night? Front row, me, right here. God may be saying, listen to the fact that you're not listening. And understand the revelation that I bring into that. Some of you are here this morning because you tragically believe that if you show up and you do your duty, that somehow God's going to bless that in some way for you this week. That you're dealing with God. And I'm just saying to you, bring that to the table. God, this is why I'm here this morning. Let him bring the revelation of why that's an inappropriate way to come to the table. Some of you are here this morning because, and after this, and as you come to this table, you realize, man, I'm coming broken. I understand. I see it. And I, I need to come back and align my life. I need to bring all of my life back in alignment to the revelation that Jesus is God and that he is loving me. And that he is standing at the altar and he is saying, I am now God with flesh on. I am the groom and you are the bride. Come and let us celebrate the vows that we take to one another. And you need to come and worship. What I'm trying to say is, wherever you're at this morning, maybe exactly where God has you this morning to receive the revelation that he has for you. You ready for that? Yeah? His grace is greater than and his love is greater than your own heart to make you different. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the revelation of God and that you are here this morning and that it pleases you to reveal yourself to us. And there's a lot of people in this room, Lord, that may not want that revelation. And I just pray for them, Lord, that you would, you would take us captive that you would woo our hearts and that, Lord, you would, you would draw us to that place of love that maybe we are so resistant to go. There may be people here this morning, Father, that, that don't know you, that have never come to that place of being fully redeemed. I pray this morning you bring the revelation of the power of who you are into their lives. And there may be many here this morning that are eager to come to this table and worship you. Full hearts of repentance and full hands ready to receive the gift you have. Lead us in that way, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. We talk a little bit about this table before we come to it. For some of you, this may be your first time here, or maybe it's been a long time since you've come to uh, the table here in town. In a moment, we're going to start with some music. 
and throughout the whole time of communion, we'll have music going to help you worship. It's a time where we encourage you to pray and spend time with the Lord, open up scripture, maybe read some of the things that I've read. Uh, if not, maybe some other passages the Lord is leading you to. And use this time as a time of worship. When you are ready, in that spirit of prayer, come on up to the kneelers. Uh, take all the time you need. I encourage you to squeeze in. Don't be afraid of one another. These are not designed for two people. These are, so don't lay out, you know. But come and squeeze in shoulder to shoulder. And when you're ready to receive, um, then put your hands out. Um, and we will serve you. If you come here and you feel like I need prayer this morning, I really need someone to speak words over my, my life, then cross your chest, and uh, those that are serving will stop what they're doing and pray for you, enter into your journey. But before you come, hear these words. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are remembering. But it's not just a memorial service. This is a table of power. Therefore, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. How you come to this table matters. It matters. This is holy business we're dealing with here. This is the revelation that Jesus is saying, remember me. Come and taste and drink and know that I am who I said that I am. So what does that mean? If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you've not come to that place of receiving Christ as your Lord and being rescued from the condition of your own sin, this table is not for you. It's not. So don't come and drink and eat judgment upon yourself. If you're not sure about where you stand with the Lord, there are people right outside the door here that are very kind and good listeners. And they would love to walk you through that process of how today can be a day for you, a day of retention. But for many of you that are Christ followers, you also have to stop. Because this table, we come to it cautiously. We don't come running up here half-heartedly. We come examining our own lives because if there's any area of your life where you're saying to the Lord, I want this of you, but over here, stay away. And the Lord says, no, no, no. You can't get married and continue today. Right? We know that's the nature of love. That's the nature of His love too. He says, bring it on. Even if it's messy. Even if it's unresolved. Even if you don't know what to do with it. Even if you're dealing with addictions today that you know will still be there this afternoon. He said, bring it all. Because that's what he wants from us, all of us. If that's you, as messy as you may be, if you're in need of the table, this table is for you. Run to the table, and he'll meet us here. And he will give us revelation of his love. You ready for that? All right. If you need prayer as a Christ follower, and you're going through some hard stuff, you don't need to go through it alone. 
Again, there are folks outside the door that would love to enter into your story with you and journey with you. We need each other. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, when I pray, you come as the Lord leads you. Okay? Lord, meet us at this table. Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we praise you for the sacrifice and the resurrection and the life we have now in you. And Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Fill this place with power. Unravel us. Let us be like Peter. Now that we see who you are, we have no other place to go but this table. And let us feast on you and worship you.